You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Summer School Electronics. Summer School Electronics is a pedal company from Syracuse, New York, making incredible stuff. There are a few summer school devices knocking around the shred shed, and I can tell you from personal experience, they sound great, they hold up, and Mark is a super cool dude. The first pedal I saw from them was the Science Fair, which is a parallel classic drive and distortion. And now they've released a new parallel concept called the Class Reunion. The Class Reunion takes a 90s muff-style circuit and combines it with their Trash Panda, which is like a soft-clipping, high-gain, amp-in-a-box-style circuit. And it is a super, super versatile combination with all kinds of clipping options, parallel blending. It's really, really rad, a really cool idea, and I think you should check it out. So go over to summerschoolelectronics.com. That's summerschoolelectronics.com and check them out today. Hey there, everybody. How you doing? I'm doing grand myself. I hope you are doing grand, too. Before we get into this episode, I got a couple messages for you. One being, this episode is brought to you by the fine folks at the Fear the Riff Expo. Been talking about it for a couple weeks now? Or months? How long have I been talking about it? Quite a while. Fear the Riff Expo is happening in Brooklyn, New York City on Saturday, August 11th. I'm going to be there. A whole bunch of other people are going to be there. We're going to be doing some Tone Mob VIP stuff. If you want information on that, send an email to info at tonemob.com. We'll be making it happen. It's going to be a good time. I think it's going to be even bigger and better than last year. A lot of my favorite folks are going to be out there. I'm really excited, really, really excited for this year's event. I think it's going to be even better, and we're just going to keep on improving and and rocking and riffing and all that good stuff. So come out Saturday, August 11th to the Fear the Riff Expo in Brooklyn, New York City. This episode is also brought to you by the wonderful folks over at Sinusoid. They've been sponsoring this podcast for so long, and I can't tell you how happy that makes me, and I can't tell you how happy you will be if you purchase some slivers. Because I was just doing a little refiguring of my itty-bitty pedal board the other day, and I literally, quite literally, got an entire pedal, an entire additional pedal, on that board because of the slivers and how tiny they were. They saved the day. They're the best. Sinusoid's the best. And you should go over to their website and check out all their offerings, including the sliver. The sliver is my favorite thing ever, but I can't do a spot on that every time. I guess I could, but I should probably shouldn't. So go over to sinusoid.com, check out any of the hundreds of combinations of cables with a hundred year warranty, and you'll be smiling all the way to wherever you're going. And you're going somewhere. I don't know where it is, but you'll smile. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the ToneMob.com podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today I have none other than Mr. Kevin Equitz of Equitz Guitars. How you doing, sir? Fantastic, sir. Thank you. It is a a real treat to have you on. It's been a uh, it's been a long time coming. I mean, at least at <laughs> least uh, two years in the making, right? 
Yeah, it's a it's a treat to be on the show. <clears throat> um, let's see. I'm trying to retrace our little rough history here. Seems like we first <laughs> met at Winter <laughs> Winter Nam. What twenty? 15 or 16 i can't remember it was whenever you had guitars at the new neighbor booth i don't remember what year that was yeah i think that would have been um something like that something one <laughs> of those two or, options 16 or something well it it always throws me up because it's right at the beginning of the year and mm -hmm. um it always seems like it's so much further away in time than it really was um, so the years, for some reason, they just throw me off. It's like I'm on some weird fiscal year that I can't sort out with the NAM shows. I I kind of feel the same way. I'm I always am a year behind with that. I'm like, it's wait. I, well, see, like technically, we've already done the 2018 NAM, but it doesn't feel right to say that for some reason. I feel right. like next and year, and it's like for that well, show. Oh, sorry, cut out. I, I talked over you. What were you saying? Oh no, no, I. Uh, I was just going to say, like, it's just a weird thing. I don't know why it would be that way, but it is, apparently. Well, it seems like you're doing all this work to get ready for the show, and um, that's all in the year previous. So, you know, in my head, it's it's like, and, and I'm not even like an exhibitor there. I can only imagine the, the people that are, but, you know, all that work you've done was really part of the year prior. Mm -hmm. For sure, for sure. So maybe we should just get right into it for those that, that don't know about you. We'll just uh, start with your musical backstory and kind of, I know you play several different instruments, so I'd like to hear kind of how that progressed and what made you want to start building guitars and being in commercials and stuff. <laughs> yeah, commercial. Um, <laughs> sure. So the, the the best beginning of the story, I guess, is how musical my family is, right? My dad's a drummer. Um, my mom has a bit of a music background as well. And on top of that, I mean, there's really just this overwhelming love for music. Um, we've always played music and we've always enjoyed music at the dinner table. It was always like a cool um, treat to be the one to get to pick what we listen to at dinner which is probably why I can't stand the sound of people chewing because I grew up just listening to music while we ate. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> so my dad, um, he's primarily a drummer. He can play guitar too, but um, drums were really his thing. And so my, I have an older brother and my brother and I grew up playing the drums because that's what dad did. And um, so around junior high, my brother got into playing guitar when he was in junior high, I was younger. And he learned really quick and got really good really fast. And so then my energy just kind of went into playing drums. It's like, well, he's got a guitar covered. Let me just focus on drums. So that was um, that was my thing, like through the, you know, junior high and high school years. And right around high school, um, kind of realizing how much more portable a guitar is. Uh, you know, I got into playing guitar. Uh, a lot of my friends played too. So it was just a way to kind of, participate you know everybody's hanging out they pull out the guitars and it's like oh hey why don't you give me something that i could you know hit with a stick it, it was not that much fun so <laughs> right. um <laughs> so learning chords and things like that was kind of where i started and then um also like around kind of later in high school like beginning in college that was when i realized how much fun bass is you know bass is kind of like playing drums and guitar at the same time in my head at least and mm -hmm. um it's nice because you can kind of hang out in the background. You don't have all the pressures of like doing the solo and all that stuff. 
Um, and there's like this cool, like unspoken language thing with the drummer, you know, the way that the drummer and the bass player kind of play off each other. And if instruments are like languages, it's kind of like, you know, learning Latin and Spanish and Italian, you know, there are a lot of words that might kind of cross over and you feel like if you know one language, you're already, you know, a good percentage of the way there towards the next. And so kind of being a drummer inside, I think helped inform, you know, my playing as a bass player or as a guitar player and vice versa. Like when I got into guitar more, I think it made me a better drummer, if that makes any sense. Um, it does. So anyway, that was kind of the thing. But like I said, my dad and my brother had guitars too. And so eventually we were, you know, collecting guitars little by little. We would, um, you know, it was like a big achievement, um, <laughs> you know, to, to, to earn a new guitar and kind of work your way up. And um, so restringing the guitars was really something I enjoyed doing. Uh, it was maybe a bit of a chore, I think, for them. But um, it was really fun for me. And it was something I got to do for them. And, and that felt yeah. good to kind of help support them. And so little by little, it was like, you know, replacing tuners on one thing. And um, you know, that whole thing kind of fascinated me. But in college, I was studying art. So I was getting a lot of like design um, instruction and just, you know, mindset. And so it was in uh, one of my classes where I had to give like a it was not supposed to be an impromptu speech. It was impromptu because I didn't prepare for it, but I had to present like an artist statement to the class. And so basically a couple minutes before I had to go up there, I just told the whole class, um, I'm going to build guitars. And the response was good. And it was one of those things it's like, well, I said it, now I got to do it. And um, it just made a lot of sense, you know, like as much as I love music and I love instruments and the electric guitar has always fascinated me, even being a drummer, the guitar was just fascinating. They came in, in uh, I think, give away my age. You know, I grew up, I was, I was really young in the 80s and the 90s were kind of those like formative junior high and high school years for me. So when I was really young, like the guitars were these bright colors and they were all crazy shapes and the music video was such a big thing. So wielding an electric guitar was like having some sort of cool like science fiction weapon almost, you know? And... Um, so they just fascinated me. And I remember my brother and his friends getting electric guitars and just staring at them in the hardware. And it was like, they were so complex to me. So anyway, right. having a, a chance to take one apart or put one together, you know, that was, that was kind of the thing. So yeah, that's, that's essentially it in a nutshell. Like after college, um, you know, I started working right away, got married right away. And, um, there wasn't really time, money, or space really to get into it. So um, in that little period, I did a lot of just research, just watching a lot of videos, looking at books and all that kind of stuff. Um, so when the time came, I'd saved up enough dough to, to get enough parts to do a parts caster. It was um, a Strat style, you know, mm -hmm. white Strat. I wanted to do one with lipstick pickups because uh, I had seen like Stevie Ray Vaughan and uh, also Henry Garza of um, Los Lonely, no, not, um, is it Los Lonely Boys? I don't <laughs> like, know. Yeah, I Los don't Lonely know. Boys. Anyway, I, I had seen these, this guitar out there, you know, it was kind of like Steve Ray Vaughan's Charlie Caster mm -hmm. and, um, and it just looked so cool and it wasn't like anything that I had. And, and I figured, well, that'd be a good place to start. And really the way that a Strat is designed, is just fantastic. You can get the 
the uh, the pickups from one place, the hardware from another place, the body from a third, and the neck from a fourth, and you can put them all together with screws and a little bit of solder and have a functioning instrument. It's it's um, dangerous. <laughs> and that was really the start of it. And, you know, parts casters kind of started coming. I got to do one for um, my dad. I got to um, build a guitar for my brother. By that point, it was like, let me start building the body. But I still buy the neck already made. And um, so each project was kind of a push to start building um, one of the parts instead of buying it pre-built. Okay. Um, okay. Doing the finish as well. And so eventually it got to where I was, you know, building the necks and building the bodies. <clears throat> and, and then, um, you know, by that point it was, it was still a hobby or kind of a passion project. It didn't want it to be a business at all. I just wanted to do it because I love doing it. But eventually seeing the benefits of making it a business and taking it seriously, getting the business license and the retail permit and all that stuff, you, you get the, you know, there are perks to being, you know, a business and, and having that, being a NAM member and, you know, getting dealer pricing, getting plugged into the network, this amazing network that you know as well of, you know, other builders and other people in this community. And um, so that was kind of the start of, well, let's, treat this like a brand and, and really get into what does an Equits guitar look like and feel like and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. When would you say, like, I don't know, I could, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like when I first became aware of your brand and, and you'd been already doing basically everything in the build for a while, I think like the Rayburn I first played which is, I think, still my profile picture, if I remember correctly. Yeah. <laughs> that red one, yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, I have a weird thing about selfies. I don't really like taking them. Uh, I will occasionally. But um, I have no problem with other people's photos of me. Like, it's fine. Like, that doesn't weird me out. But if I've taken the picture of myself, I get weird. So I'm glad you were able to provide a, a picture of me out in the wild. Um, <laughs> Did I take that picture, too? Yeah, you took that picture. <laughs> I was like, "Hey, that's not too bad. I'll use that one. I don't have to take a that's funny. selfie." Um, we'll have to set up a photo shoot sometime with like lighting and a backdrop, and we'll get you like you know, like that soft focus filter and like a glamour shot. Yeah, let's That'll just be a lot, lot less awkward. No, let's just go with the uh, yeah. Let's just keep it <laughs> keep it natural. Well, well I'm just gonna roll with keep this it one. Candid. Yeah, keep it candid. I we'll just roll with this one until I don't look like that anymore, and then we'll try to sneak another one in. Um, Blake in the wild. Yeah, that's a that's a scary sounding thing out in the wild. <laughs> but uh, where was I going with that? Oh, yes. It seems like you already had the sort of equits identity, uh, at least for the brand, um, fairly well established by that point. But it does seem like. Correct me if I'm wrong, if it was a little bit early on relative to where we are now, I guess. It was, and that's it's good that it seemed like it was already established. I think maybe in my head it definitely was established because um, still having a day job, my like work time is pretty limited, and um, but you don't turn your head off, you know, like you keep thinking and and designing stuff and, you know, drawing things out and you know there's so many notes I have from meetings that I had been in and you know it was like a couple of notes about action items and synergy or whatever but then you know it's like all these kind of doodles of different headstock shapes oh, right. or, you know 
guitar names or pickup configurations. Like I'm making lists of things that I want to build and all that. So, you know, it's like your mind is always engaged. And, and so that helped. And, and honestly, it would be unfair to, to, you know, say so without giving credit to guys like Paul Roney to Doug Cower. Um, you know, so many of these people that I've had a chance to like, they were my, my heroes and my idols as I was getting into this and seeing, uh, on social media, the stuff that they were working on and thinking, Oh my goodness, you know, it'd be great to just meet these guys. It'd be great to just see one of the guitars and through the course of time and, you know, NAM shows and the social networks and just kind of being it welcomed into such a, such a great community like these guys are still my mentors and they're still like friends and they've been really really supportive and have helped in a lot of those kind of decisions like you know branding decisions or you know process things like that so um there's really not a lot of credit i could take myself it was really a product of the community quite honestly mm-hmm. yeah that that makes a lot of sense i mean the 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 vibe and stuff that you've kind of established it's it's not really derivative, but I can tell that it's inspired by some of the work that those guys have done and uh, others kind of, I don't know if it's like what you wanted to call like a new breed of builders or they're not really new though at this point. I'm not sure. There just seems to be sort of a generational gap uh, in between Doug and then maybe some of the older guys. I don't know. Well, I don't, yeah, that's I, fair to say. Yeah, and it's it's very challenging, especially you know talking about design and branding and things like that because there there are some brands that have been very well established and, and are very familiar and these classic shapes but they're stuck in my opinion they're kind of stuck like almost like a band where it's like no don't give me your new direction i just want to hear the hits right and um and so some of those brands have been around for a long time and really all they're they're really capable of doing to really stir up momentum is to do like a reissue or a ooh, drum roll here's a new color it's sunburst you know and it's like um there's a lot of freedom in kind of not being part of that um but there's also a challenge and this is where again guys like um, doug and paul really have a great grasp on the design of their guitars where you see some familiarity in the lines and and like the spirit of the design um, so it feels like something you've seen before, but you know, you haven't, you know, it's still new. And, um, that was really my direction again, coming from a design background, treating this whole thing, like one big design project, like what is the problem I'm trying to solve here? Um, you know, it's easy to just come up with something different and, but in my career and in my education, you know, design is about appeal, comprehension, and retention. You know, it has to make sense. It has to be memorable. It has to be desirable. And so trying to achieve that with the guitar design kind of presents some unique challenges. So it was great to to kind of bounce ideas off of those guys and and to get their support in some of my kind of early stages with the three designs that I was, you know, trying to build off of. So um, that's that's largely where, you know, I'm using air quotes, the brand idea came from. So with a, with your uh, background in design, do you, I've, I've heard this from a few different guys. Well, already there's kind of a design constraint with it has to be a functioning instrument. Um, but do you mm-hmm. place kind of, I don't want to say arbitrary, but somewhat like, you know, okay, this is going to be um, an offset or this is going to look 
it's going to have these three factors in it. Like I've heard that placing uh, limits where there probably originally were none helps in the design process. Is that uh, true, yeah. or does you even think like that? Absolutely, yeah. Um, and from what I've heard too, it's like that with songwriting too. Some people have recommended like if you're stuck, take three strings off your guitar or, you know, try writing something with just two chords or, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for, um, just all of design in general when you're working within limitations. Um, so what I wanted to do was, um, for all of the Southern California folks that are familiar with in and out hamburgers, they've got three things on their menu and it's, you know, hamburger, cheeseburger, and a, and a double, double, they have the hidden menu, but when you have fewer options, there's also less um, space for regret. You know, if you're only picking between three things, then it's a lot easier to make up your mind. You're not worried about, well, should I go on with one of those other deals? Whereas if you have this whole wide range of, you know, if you're picking from 30 options, you know, then you got 29 different potential um, spaces for you to like second guess yourself. So creating boundaries was, was really good uh, for me at least. And so, to start with, it was really important to just go with three. It just seemed to make a lot of sense. And so then it was like, well, within those three, let me create kind of a, a range, kind of a spectrum. And um, what I had started with was what's the Ashford. And then that one was very organic. Like I kind of freehand drew some lines. I had to go at it a few times, but over a, um, like I put my plexiglass sheet over different templates, you know, Jazzmaster and Telecaster, Les Paul, and, you know, borrowing different lines from these things until it all kind of fit together in a way that I liked it. Mm -hmm. But it was very freehand, like very organic. Um, and so that was a matter of just going for it. I was encouraged by um, uh, a representative from uh, Reverb, actually, uh, one of the NAM shows back when they were, downstairs it was like one of the first times they were there may have been the first time i don't know but they were downstairs and just talking to this guy and and at the time i was doing like les paul style double cutaways and tellies and things like that and what happens is people a lot of times will you know when they order something it's largely based off of something they've already seen mm -hmm. and and so a lot of the guitars that i was making were essentially what other people were asking for and there wasn't a lot of my own direction and quite honestly that was something i was okay with because there's not like this big artistic desire to be expressive or whatever but um you know he was telling me he's like well what would you do if if you wanted to make something for yourself and you had just free reign what would you make and so the ashford is really a representation of that and that became kind of the far end of the spectrum because it's like semi-hollow, carved top. I mean, there are a lot of steps to that process. So mm -hmm. then I thought, well, let me, what would be ultra simple? What would be something that I could, I could make without like a lot of bells and whistles and, you know, and steps and starting with a telly kind of as a platform, that's where the Rayburn came from. I mean, it, this telly roots are really obvious, I think. And I don't really feel like there's a need to apologize for it. You know, it's, it's inspired by the pretty brilliant design of a Telecaster, but, you know, trying to change some lines around and doing some things that I wanted to do for aesthetics and comfort and whatever, like that's where the Rayburn came from. So then the decision was, well, I need something in between these two. Um, an offset would be great. Something that is just kind of, you know, neither of these. And that was how the Devera came about. Um, it was related to a, a project that somebody else 
requested of me they, they sent me uh you know some examples of some different guitars and so with a little bit of retrofit that became the devera so that then i had my three designs and and that was essentially it then all my energy after getting those those three kind of like the look down then it was like well i need to build these and they need to be like a, a three-dimensional physical thing that somebody can hold and play and give me some feedback on and um then all my energy went into building them and trying to get them out there Mm-hmm. And, and the, I think the, at that new neighbor booth, there was, um, there was a Devera and, and at least one Rayburn, I think. I think it was definitely those two. I'm not sure if I had a third one there or not. There was third one there, but I think it was at a different booth. If I remember correctly, I don't remember what booth that was. Um, but not that it really matters, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> no. but, uh, the Rayburn, uh, to me, I don't know. Just this is just me theorizing things. It almost looks like yes, there's definitely some telly in there. I don't know if mm-hmm. I'm projecting this or if this is a real thing. I see a little bit of old Epiphone uh, in that yep. guitar as well. So, which mm-hmm. I love. Um, it's yep. just I've always loved that thing. Uh, that was with, I think that was the first one I played, and then um, I played Leon's, of course, with the fuzz in, which mm-hmm. is just marvelous. Um, and I, I don't know. I like, I just, what, one thing that I've always kind of noted is I really like your necks. Um, and then if I, I, maybe you've changed since then, but I remember asking you like, what, what does this measure at? Cause I don't really know. I just know if I pick up a guitar and I like how it feels. Right. I've never actually measured a neck, which some people think I'm. It's probably better if you don't. Yeah. I, I mean, I like, I kind of know some, some stuff just cause I, I know it. I know, you know, I know what this one is, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I don't. I don't actually know neck measurements. As I just know if I like them or if I don't. Um, sure. Well, neck measurements have kind of been a, an evolution for me as well. Um, the first neck that I ever like made, I just said, "Let's do this. Let's go for it." <laughs> if I if I screw it up, then I screw it up. Um, but when I went at it, it was like ultra conservative. So it ended up being a real heavy neck. And, um, and I didn't notice until I put the strings on it and I was like, oh man, this thing's a baseball bat. Mm -hmm. Um, but the guitar was done and it was like, well, when I get the time, I'll go back and, and shave some more off and fix it. But the more I played it, the more I enjoyed it. And I thought, dang, there's like, you know, less fatigue. And, and it's not like I'm some shredder or anything like that. It's not like the, the the guitar needs to get out of my way at all you know it's, it's <laughs> there, there's a lot of work i need to do to where the guitar is what's holding me back not my own inability but um what i found is that just playing for a long time like we get to sit in sometimes with my dad's uh, my dad still plays with this band that he's been playing with since he was in junior high so we you know we'll play um some like cover band kind of gigs at a local restaurant you know so we play it all night and um playing it at church and things like that and just my own practice and just realizing like, wow, this, this actually feels good. So, um, kind of breaking down the, the, the walls of a heavy neck. Um, and then after a while, like, you know, making a few more necks, then I got into like, well, let me try slimming this down because some people, when you ask them right off the bat, well, what kind of neck do you want? Like, well, I, I like a real slim neck. It's like, all right, that's cool. So I needed to be able to do that. I couldn't just rest on the idea of like, playing it um you know safe with a heavier neck i wanted to to really see what i could get away with and so some of them have much slimmer necks um and i don't 
I mean, I, I do measure them, but it's not always a, a matter of reaching the same measurements each time. You know, uh, quite a bit of it is done by feel. And, um, and so I think at this point I've settled kind of in the middle of that, like that red one that you're talking about, that's got a gigantic, yeah, I on loved it. it. Um, because that's actually <laughs> <laughs> me too. Yeah. That one was made for August of Otis amps. And what he asked for specifically was a real heavy neck. And, um, and so it was like, cool, let's, let's do this. And, um, what I made for him, um, since the, the first couple frets were so, um, you know, it was, it was so heavy there. I thought, well, let me kind of keep the same thickness all the way through. And as it turns out, I found that that was an idea that Paul Roney had already been doing for a while was this kind of uniform mm -hmm. thickness. And I was like, okay, there's yet another reason why Paul Roney's a uh, mm -hmm. genius. Um, and so kind of hearing him talk about it, it's like, well, that would be a perfect solution for this neck that I want to do. And so that's what I did. And I believe the actual numbers, I think that one is about like, you know, 0 0.89, 0 0.9 inches or whatever, which is pretty robust for a, for a neck. Um, so that's like what I would consider on the heavy end of necks that I've made. Um, on Leon's, like the one you're talking about, that's a bit slimmer, but not, not by much. Um, but really, I think... Paul was onto something there with that whole, um, like, yeah, it's, I think uniform thickness. Yeah. Idea. He just, he told me just to imagine it as a, like a half a tube straight. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's interesting because it gets wider, you know, as it obviously progresses down. So the feel of it starts to feel a bit, um, if it, it feels slimmer and more normal because there's, there's like a junky, you know, strat copy generic neck that I have here hanging up in the in the garage that I kind of reference every now and then if I'm just curious, like, wait, what is the standard like? Um, so anyway, starting to ramble about nonsense uh, <laughs> numbers or whatnot. But but yeah, that's kind of the basis. And then um, a lot of it, since each one is done, you know, individually by hand, you know, I'll track to those measurements. I have a contour gauge. I have um, different like you know, after setting the contours and I'll trace them onto a paper and just kind of keep a, a reference of different necks that I've made just so that I, I know kind of what people are referring to. If they're like, Oh, I love the neck on Leon's. It's like, okay, well I have all three, you know, or sometimes it's more than that. Sometimes it's five different measurements, you know, from the first all the way down to the, to the 12th fret, um, different contour measurements and stuff. But, um, so keep that as a reference, but there's a weird kind of abstract, like artsy fartsy mindset of just kind of letting the neck become what it wants to be. You know, sometimes just, um, the way that a certain uh, piece of wood will be, if there's a grain, that's kind of difficult. Maybe you hit a spot that's a little bit rough and you need to take a little bit more off. Some necks end up being just a little bit thinner. Um, or sometimes, you know, it's, it's kind of heavy and it's like, you know what, this thing's done. This feels fantastic like this and I'm just going to leave it. Um, one neck that I did for a friend of mine, he has an SG and, and, um, his name's Brian. He's a really cool guy. And, and he, um, he had this SG and, and he was being very cool. He asked me to build him a guitar. And so we talked a bit about it. And it's like, I can match the dimensions of your SG, but it's not going to feel the same just because it's on a different guitar. The finish on the back of the neck, the weight of the body, all these things really affect the feel of it. So when it comes to some sort of like quantifiable, 
you know, measurement thing, it's, it's a little bit sticky to say like, yes, it's always, you know, this, this, and this, and this is like some formula for the perfect neck. You know, there's a lot of it's done by feel and by circumstance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I've talked about this on the show before too, that I generally prefer a bigger neck, you know, um, and if you looked at me, you would say I probably needed a slim neck because I got two inch long fingers. (laughs) <laughs> but but for some reason I I've I've always like ever since I first picked up an old junior it was just like oh yeah mm-hmm. this is this just feels better to me and I and it was like a little bit at work a little or excuse me a little bit of work at first um just to get used to it cuz I was used to a pretty slim neck on my my Les Paul I've had forever it's like the 60s taper mm-hmm. you know and Right. I still like that, but if you had to, if you still had to give me one to to pick between, it would be the bigger, beefier one. And I don't, I don't know why, but it's just like you say, I I don't get fatigued when I play those nearly, nearly as much as with a slimmer neck. I, I just like it. Um, right, and, you know, so many of the elements of a guitar, in my mind, at least, this is just opinion. But you know, when they base like what makes a good guitar on like, well, it's it's a, a glued neck versus a bull neck or it's this kind of hardware versus that, or it's, you know, mahogany versus alder. All these things are really subjective in my opinion. And what really makes a guitar feel good when you pick it up and, and all this stuff is, is how those all work together, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, it's like if it were a chunky neck, but the body just was, it didn't balance with the neck, then, you know, it still wouldn't be right. So, um, it's a matter of getting the whole thing to work together as a unit and, and making sure that the, just the, the, the proportions that everything just feels good. It's so subjective. It really comes down to feel. You have to just hold the thing and see like, you know, what it, it sounds so silly and like superstitious, but it's like, what is this thing like wanting to be, <laughs> you know, does it want to be heavy? Does it want to be light? Does it want to, you know, um, I don't know, respond a certain way. And um, I, I, to me, that just sounds ridiculous. But in the process of making one, I mean, that's that's so much of how it goes. You can you can measure it so far, but sometimes you just have to make some adjustments. Well, I, I used to say this or reference this a lot on older episodes, so people may have heard it before. But I heard uh, – I read a discussion on, on – uh, forums a long time ago and I don't remember which one it was if it was it seems like it was a telecaster forum thing um but it mm-hmm. was talking about tone woods and you know I'm a little bit lukewarm oh, on that subject I'm like just like <laughs> I don't know I've played ones right. made out of you know a uh, particle board that sounded great so it's like and I played ones made out right. of the finest materials quote unquote available and it was not good so um but the the guy, and I wish I could remember where I seen it or what the guy's username was, but he said a luthier told him one time that some trees grow up and they want to be a guitar, and some trees grow up and they want to be a park bench, and there's nothing you're going to do to get it to to be what it doesn't want to be. <laughs> and I've just that's always stuck with me, and because I found it to be true, like there's guitars for me that are right. um, objectively great, but when I picked it up and played it, it was like. Mm pass Mm -hmm. um right right but on paper i should have loved it yeah i should have loved it 
Exactly. And and honestly, that terrifies me because, you know, so much of what I'm doing is, is not as easily quantifiable. It's like, you know, it's always going to be this weight and it. it's always going to be exactly these dimensions. You know, it's it's like, you know, as much as you love food um, and I love food, too, as much as we love food, it's it's like trying to get the right um, seasonings. You know, it's you can't just blame a meal on. You know, well, I used the wrong peppercorns. <laughs> you know, it's like there's so many other factors that go into how it was made and the other ingredients and what you have as like the base and what's supposed to be like the highlight and what, what adds some sort of contrast, either flavor or visual mm-hmm. or whatever. You know, it's, it's you can't like in terms of a meal, like you can't just take everything that's awesome and drop it all into the plate. You're, it's going to be too rich. And, and um and, you know, then those things, like you're not really tasting the combination of the things. It's more of this competition for energy. And I guess that, that comes back to the design mentality too. You know, some of the best designs are really about simplicity and, and like we were saying before, limitations. It's the way that all the components work together in the space that, that is given. And things cannot be competing for attention. There needs to be some sort of a hierarchy set of like, where do you want somebody's attention to go first? And then how do you want it to travel down? So anyway, in regards to tone wood, yeah, that is, it's just like any of those other arguments in my mind that, um, and you know, maybe I don't know anything, but what I would say is yes, mahogany sounds different than alder and it sounds different than pine. Um, but none of them sound bad. In my opinion, they just sound different. And um, in the end, like how discernible is that difference? Um, How significant is it? And, um, you know, I'm happy to build a guitar out of mahogany or alder, you know, whatever somebody wants based on the weight or the feel. Um, One of the guitars that I made when I was starting out and just experimenting on building bodies, it was made out of a uh, two by 10 from Home Depot, just some crummy Douglas fur that actually it was in my garage because I was using it as like a scaffolding <laughs> that I had stretched over a banister to, to paint with. And that is like the most resonant guitar that I have. I mean, it's super lightweight. It's, it's like super loud acoustically. Um, it sounds at first, I thought it sounded pretty crummy, like on its own, but trying it at a gig, um, it actually projects in a mix uh, really, really well. Um, there's another guitar that I made that's like a piece of mahogany. It, it weighs like a ton. Um, and it is like the most resonant thing. It's almost like it's got too much sustain. Like, um, some songs that we've played where it's like, you have to like hit a chord and let it sustain out. There were times I had to reach down and turn my volume down cause it wouldn't <laughs> decay fast enough. And the, the neck is held in with screws. So, you know, it's a maple neck with screws. It's not bolted in i mean it's not glued in so not to say that those arguments are irrelevant or unfounded but you know when it comes down to it like there are so many other factors that play into it um so it's not just that it's a mahogany guitar or it's an alder guitar it's like well what kind of hardware are you using how is the thing built um there's so many other factors to consider yeah you brought up the neck joint a couple times and i've always thought that was a really interesting argument uh or at least point of debate is the bolt versus glued. I don't care, first of all, uh, which one is which. It's whatever that guitar needs it to be. I understand that each one has its own advantages and disadvantages, but like, as far as uh, strength goes, like I've heard that, like, oh, the glued-in neck is so much stronger. I, I, I go back to a, a time when I was a teenager, 
And I don't know how many people have actually tried to smash a guitar before, uh, but I found that bolt necks <laughs> hold up just fine <laughs> when I'm literally slamming the guitar into a giant boulder, trying to smash it. And, and it's just an old, an old cheap guitar that actually had um, been... It was an old Epiphone, I think. So if I if I'm remembering correctly, I think it was an old like yeah. a cheap Epiphone uh, with a bolt neck, and so, some a friend of mine had come home and somebody had knocked his guitar over and the headstock was busted off. Um, so, so we glued it back okay. together and smashed it for like this this little party we were playing. Like we we're like this will be funny if we smash the guitar, <clears throat> but it was already broken, so nobody get too mad at me. Um, but yeah, it was hard. Then I'll tell you, the neck joint didn't fail. That, mm. that, that was the part that did not fail. Right. So I'm, I'm very confident in the strength of a bolt-on neck, or at least a properly designed one. Yeah. Well, and that, I think that's the key right there. You said a properly designed one. Um, when I was doing some of those kind of like double cutaway Les Paul styles, the it was essentially like a mortise and tenon you know, neck joint, like what would normally be glued, but my choice was to put them in with screws. Um for several reasons, because first of all, I'm in a very small space. My quote unquote shop is really, you know, a one car garage and, um, or a single car space where the garage. And, and so like when it comes time to spraying them or even just in the build process, it's nice to have them as two separate mm-hmm. units so that like, um, while the lacquer is curing on the body, I can be doing the fret work on the neck. Um, also if anything later on down the road, if somebody wanted it like refretted or anything like that, they could take the neck off and, and it would be a lot easier for them to ship. Um, you know, so the idea of, of like permanently coupling the, the two elements made me a little nervous. Um, also maple is really in my mind, it's really my favorite to work with for a neck, um, just because you can leave it relatively unfinished, you can just oil it or just put a light finish on it. And it's very stable from what I've seen. It's really sturdy. And so it's like, okay, so let me just use maple next. And then with the the two different finish options, it's, it's just makes so much more sense for my intended purposes to, to just, you know, use screws and mm-hmm. thing. Um, and if it's made well, if, if the joint fits really tight and it's all coupled together, again, there's so many other components to, to consider, you know, like you could plug this into a garbage amp and then anything is irrelevant <laughs> as far as the guitar is concerned. But, um, but that's, that's one of the things that I really stick to. Some people have insisted like, well, I need it to be glued in joint for the sustain. And it's like, okay, well, I'm only going to do <laughs> bolt net. <laughs> Um, but you know, there was, uh, th- this guy that I, I got to work with, he had an actual 60, I think it was like 63, 64 strat. The thing was amazing. And the, the gap around the, the neck, like in the pocket, like you could slide a nickel down the, you know, all aspects of the, the thing. It didn't even fit tightly. And that guitar just sang, man. So, okay. Maybe it's the age of the, the wood at the cellular level that is you know, um, maybe it's the way that the, the nitro lacquer is shrunken and evaporated and worn down over time. Like there's so many factors, but it, it was nothing to do with the neck. And, you know, when you listen to certain recordings, people, you know, there are some recordings that people would swear is one guitar or another. And 
I mean, how many times have you listened to like your favorite guitar track and be like, hmm, you know, those screws are really holding him <laughs> back or you're sitting in the back of a, of a bar and this, uh, or a club and this band is wailing away and it's like, you know, if they would have glued that neck in, this guy would have sounded totally. a lot better. Mm-hmm. So every time, no, no criticism, <laughs> no criticism to the, um, to the builders that want to glue in their necks. I fully support that. I think it's great. And and if they have the means and, and it's as far as their process is concerned and that's the, the direction they want to go, great, go for it. You know, so I'm not saying it's wrong, but as far as for my purposes and my process and, you know, the circumstances that I'm in, they're going to be uh, mm-hmm. in necks. Well, and then there's, there's, we're talking about the joint themselves and like, I didn't even think about it until I started talking to some of you guys. Like, you know, I was just thinking, you know, fender, you know, four bolt or three bolt or whatever neck, it's just a flat thing. You stick it in there, mm-hmm. bolt it on. That's the end of the story. I didn't even think about the wide variety of ways there is to do that. You know, we, you know, plugged Paul a lot on this show, but like the way he did the little stinkered max with the two bolt, uh, I think it was mm-hmm. a two bolt, wasn't it? Am I correct on that? Uh, I haven't seen one in so long. It, it might have just been, been one. one. Yeah, yeah. I think that I I might be speaking out of turn. I think it might have even been one. Um, but and then I looked at uh, uh, my millimetric. The thing's almost a neck through, but technically mm-hmm. a bull neck. Um, and so that's just right. a part of building that I never even really considered until started talking to some of you guys. So it's kind of a, an interesting. It just shows how much thought goes into some of these instruments. I guess is what I'm getting at. Right. And in my mind, you know, that's something that could be chalked up to, you know, how saturated the market is. Some people would complain about that, use that as a criticism. And it's like, there's a lot of freedom in that because, you know, what, there are other people out there making set neck, maybe like Gibson style format or, you know, you can go get um, uh, another T style or an S style or a JM style guitar from this other build. Like, it seems like there's a lot of lot to choose from out there. So it's not really incumbent on me to, to cover the whole spectrum. It feels like I actually have more freedom to choose the way that I want to build them. And, um, and as long as I have a reason for it, which again goes back to the design background about not making arbitrary decisions, you know, it's like for pretty much anything in my guitars, at least there's a reason why it is that way. Um, and so it's great if, if somebody really does not want one of my guitars because it, it doesn't have a glued joint, that's okay. I'd uh, be happy to refer them over to other builders because, you know, the builders are great. We have a great community. And um, from what I've seen, you know, for the most part, we kind of look out for each other. And to me, what's more important is that people are supporting the builders, mm-hmm. you know, um, there's so many guys out there that care so passionately about what they're doing and they're, they're just amazing artists and craftspeople. Um, so in my mind, it's more important just to push the community. It's like, maybe I'm not the right builder for you, but here's someone who is, you want something more retro, you want something more aggressive or more modern or whatever. Um, there, there are a lot of these, these great little, you know, groups that we're all in and, and we can communicate with each other and, and it's great. Um, so if somebody really had an issue with something that I was building, then it would feel really good to, to steer their business towards one mm-hmm. of my friends. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's part of what makes this whole, this whole thing fun is the community aspect of this. Like 
it's whether you're a builder, a customer, yeah. nerd, whatever. Like, it's just cool to be, you know. <laughs> We're yeah, all we, nerds. We are. We are 100%. <laughs> Um, I, it's, it's so great that, um, my wife is, you know, I, you know, she, she knows I'm, I'm a super geek and like super not cool and that's fine. But what is really funny is like, she's been more and more exposed to, um, more guys like me. Um, and I'm like, I Mm -hmm. constantly get to be like, see, it's not just me. We're all like this. Like, (laughs) (laughs) like. I, I can't remember if I've told this story on the podcast or not, but um, through a lot of awesome circumstances and a big shout out to Grant Wilson from Big Ear NYC, uh, I found myself giving some pedals to one of my favorite artists, um, or two of my favorite guys, uh, Brian Fallon and Ian Perkins, uh, which they do Gaslight Anthem and a variety of other things. Um, so I was like, I was like okay. at the show, we were planning on going to the show anyway. My wife's a huge fan. I'm a big fan. And I had some pedals to give to them because I got, got hooked up and, and I gave it to them and they said, Oh yeah, after the show, you know, shoot me a message and, uh, you know, Brian would love to talk to you for a minute. So round roundabout story is after the show, my wife and I ended up on the tour bus for like 45 minutes or an hour. And we got done and left and she's like, how do you do this? Like, they're just like you. <laughs> We're sitting there obsessing <laughs> of, of how, you know, Pelham blue fades to that wonderful green over time and like talking about different fuzz pedals oh, for, yeah. you know, we could have went all night. Like, uh, and it was just like, ah, we better go. We, you know, imposed enough and they were super nice. And it was just like really interesting just to be sitting there kind of, gear geeking with one of my favorite artists so but my wife was just blown away you know right. <laughs> like they're just like you <laughs> you know uh, everybody's a nerd for something you know and it's, it's just we've just found each other in in this community mm-hmm. but no matter what people are nerds for sports people are nerds for politics people are nerds for you know tv and movies like everybody's a nerd let's just get over that and embrace it and <laughs> celebrate our nerdiness. It's true. Right? I mean, have you ever met somebody? I know, I I know of a few people, but it's very rare um, in my experience. There's not that many people who don't have a thing that gets them excited. You know, they, like everyone has something yeah. that they they're into, even if they don't think of it as as a nerdy hobby or whatever. But like, if you're really into NASCAR, I I don't know. In my in my opinion, right. you got to be really into that to enjoy watching it because I don't. Um, just like they, <laughs> frankly, yeah, it would make me more cautious to, to meet somebody who wasn't a nerd for something. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's like, do you not like any, anything like I, I, but I, I have met a person or two in my day that they're just like, they don't really like anything. And it's so, I, it, it's like a head scratcher to me. I'm like, wow. Yeah. It's kind of sad. Yeah. And it, it makes you think that they, and I don't, I'm not criticizing them at all. It's their life. But it just is, it makes you kind of sit back and wonder, maybe you just haven't tried enough stuff because there's a lot of cool things in this world, (laughs) like really cool things. Right. Well, and that's where, you know, it's great about um, just our little sphere of podcasts and Facebook groups and all this because um, coming from a, a background as a drummer, 
like having to, to uh, you know, being the drummer is never fun. You're like the first person there, the last one to leave because you got all this gear to set up. Um, everyone's out hanging out with their friends and, you know, having fun before and after the show. But you're the one like, you know, unscrewing your cymbals and making sure your snares at the right angle and all this kind of stuff. So when I got into guitar playing, it was like minimalist. Like, let me let me walk in with an amp and a guitar and be done. So the whole effects pedal thing. In my mind, it's like this world of like almost like baseball cards where people will kind of like buy and sell them and trade them, collect them and, um, you know, got it, got it, need it, got mm -hmm. it kind of thing. And they just I didn't understand it. Like, again, my, my really good friend, Brian, um, you know, he he was um, he probably still is on this this amazing like amp journey. And he would he'd be going through these different amps and these different pedals and everything he played sounded awesome. And they all sounded different but they all sounded awesome. And, you know, he knew it and I knew it. Like we had a lot of fun kind of, you know, joking with each other, but um, getting into pedals was difficult for me. But what helped was shows like, like yours, um, like Chasing Tone, you know, all these where you get to hear like a good explanation of what is actually happening with these pedals and some comparisons and um, what what it means with the different you know the terminology breaking down hard clipping and soft clipping and all this kind of stuff because in my mind all my attention was on the guitar mm -hmm. itself um but it helped kind of inform where i was coming from um like if if somebody wants to order a guitar you know there's there's a lot of conversation that happens and what i want to know is like what kind of music do you like what what um are you going to be plugging this into you know are you the type of person that plugs straight into your amp or are you running this through a whole bunch of pedals because that's going to you know, make some impact on the decisions for the way that it's built and designed and all that. Um, but knowing what it means, if someone says, yeah, I, I go straight into a Helix or, you know, I've got an AC 15 and I, I like, you know, germanium style fuzzes. It's like kind of building a, an understanding of that has really helped me out. Um, and on top of that, like getting linked up with guys like, like Co and Leon in that, that whole fuzz Rayburn mm -hmm. project, um, fuzz pedals is something that I still, I, I don't completely understand, but, um, the pedals that I have are incredible. I've got the, the tone mob, um, you know, model one. Oh, that's um, right. You did get yeah, one of I those. I got a Pelotar. I got <laughs> yes. Horse. That, yeah. That's actually the first fuzz pedal I bought because I forgot about that. not knowing anything about <laughs> oh, no, I mean, I just forgot. Like, I was like, <laughs> now I'm remembering. Like, having this, like, oh yeah, Kevin. Well, that was a way back, like way back. Like that was a couple, like almost two years ago, wasn't it? Something. Anyway, that that probably yeah. Whenever you did that with solid gold, it, it was the second run. It was the one that looks like to me it looks like RoboCop. You know, it's got that kind of like yeah, aluminum. Yeah, with the, uh, that was your first fuzz, it. though. Um. Mm -hmm. Whoa. Because. Not knowing, well, which way do I want to go? Do I want to go like super gated Velcro-y fuzz or do I want that whole wooly, woofy kind of like thick thing? And that, the way that it was, and thanks to Jay Leonard J for crying out loud, that oh, guy, man. he could just do anything and sell it. Um, what a wonderful guy he is. But his demo of that pedal, I was like, okay, that's it. I got to get one of these. And by that point, it was too late. And then you did the, the reissue or the, the second release or whatever. And yeah. I was like, not going to miss this one. So I was like, boom, let's do this. And yeah, that's a rad pedal. And then, um, so that was like my introduction to fuzz and was like, Oh, Hey, this is a lot of fun, you know, <laughs> plugging this in, making some noise and all that. And, um, then getting to know co 
you know, with his roadshow and we meet up at events and things like that. Uh, and we all know every, who doesn't know Co. I mean, come on. He's, he's his own adjective. Like the guy's amazing. Love and Co. so, and he's like the, I, he, we mm. love Co. He's like the idea guy. He's just throwing ideas at me all the time. And you know, they're, they're great ideas. And so he had this idea to do a, Hey, what if we put a fuzz inside a guitar? And knowing, you know, there's ones that I've seen, oh, I think Vox and other back in the day. And to my ear, like they just sounded pretty crummy. And so I told him like, well, it's a great idea, but if we do it, it's got to be like a good fuzz. And he goes, well, I know Leon. And at the time, I mean, this is when the Pelotar was, you know, like, and it's, it, it had already been going for like a whole year and everybody's talking about the Pelotar. I'm like, whoa, you know, Leon. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Co like, you know, introduced us and, and then I got to meet Leon and work with Leon and you already know, you know, he's such an amazing guy. Mm -hmm. And so that's what made that guitar, you know, that the limited run, we still have a few left in the limited run, but that's what made that project so special was it, it's not just about a pedal. It's not just about a fuzz sound, but it's about this like camaraderie, this friendship, like getting to collaborate with people um, and not just be like, you know, stuck in my own little sphere, but like, like taking ideas and, and kind of kicking them back and forth and landing on something, um, you know, we're all darn proud of those, those fuzz Rayburns. And, um, it's, it, it was so much fun just to, it was even more fun than the guitar itself was the process in coming up with that guitar. And so that's, you know, I don't know how we got on this tangent. Sorry, my fault. But you know, like do, the idea of, of breaking <laughs> breaking out of just getting stuck in in the the like one lane of like guitars, 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 guitars. But like starting to to try to learn the language of amps and effects, and and those are instruments as well, in my opinion. Um, the way that you you chain them all together, so. You know, I guess maybe it's a long-winded thank you for you know, doing your show and and you know hearing the different builders and the way that they um, the same thing that I'm trying to do with my guitars. Other people are doing with their amps and effects, and so this you know Co was just over here the other day and he's like, you know, for somebody who's not a pedal guy, you got a lot of really nice pedals. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they're they're all like they were either gifts, um, you know, of like from really good people or they're, they're people that I've met that make pedals. And, and each pedal is like special to me because, you know, they represent, um, a project or a friendship or, you know, it was something that I, you know, was part of a trade or whatever. So it's, it's kind of ironic. Here's this, you know, minimalist drummer guy that, you know, um, is uh, not quite a pedal geek, but but trying to at least pretend like I belong with the pedal geeks <laughs> and trying very hard to uh, to speak the language of the pedal geeks. It's it's almost like by association you've just acquired them, regardless of whether that's your main thing or not. But because three quarters of the people you associate <laughs> with on the internet are are pedal nerds, it's like by osmosis you've you've become uh, uh, they've just. A, you can't get too close to the community without picking up a few gems. It seems like uh, it's just gonna happen, most likely. Yep. Um, yep. I mean, I know. Definitely. I'm. Yeah, I'm hopelessly addicted to to them, and yeah, yeah. Well, that's a story for another day. I guess everyone already knows my deal. So, <laughs> um, but one thing I do want to talk about before we before we get too far away from actual subject matter that we stayed amazingly on the topic of guitars this whole time. This is. This is a 
This is cool. a unique episode for for the Tone Mob podcast. Um, but <laughs> so I seen that commercial you you posted today that you were in for Indian motorcycles, and I just thought that was one of the coolest things. I don't know why, like why it was so cool, but it was so cool. How did that happen? <laughs> Well, what I would say for me, what makes it so cool is that um, the concept for the commercial was presented to me early on and they wanted, um, and you see the description, they're talking about the, the real life makers. Um, and so it's bizarre that I got in there, but their angle was, you know, to show craftspeople kind of in their environments and make a parallel to what they're doing. And it, it's it's it feels nice and it feels encouraging. If any guitar builder any other one other than me, like I still would have been just as excited about it because seeing guitar making represented in a context like that, as in like as a craft, it's something that, you know, could be equated to uh, a high end motorcycle or anything else was just really, I don't know, validating, I guess. But the way that the commercial came about is, um, my uncle is an actor and he's he's been in TV shows and, and all this. His name's Dwight. He's a really, really cool guy. He's been so encouraging, so supportive of what I'm doing. Um, so somehow he was talking to a casting agent and found out that they were looking for craftspeople, specifically guitar maker for this upcoming commercial. And he said, well, you got to talk to my nephew, Kevin. And so um, through my website, this casting agent sent me an email saying, hey, we're looking for guitar makers. Uh, if you want to audition, then you can come on out to Hollywood, which for me is like, it's about a, at least an hour, hour and a half drive. Um, or you can send in a video if you want. So I was like, what would it hurt? Like, this sounds like a lot of fun. Let me do this. And so I set up the um, my cameras in the garage and just recorded a quick, she said 30 to 45 seconds. All we want to do is see your hands working and if you could just kind of introduce yourself. So that's exactly what I gave them and um, sent it off. And then in a couple of days, this whole, the whole thing happened in less than two weeks. So a couple of days later, she tells me, oh, this is great. Um, we'd like you to come in for a callback. And, and, and this, you need to actually come to, you know, the, the place in Hollywood. So it's like, wow, this is crazy. So let's just do this thing. So, um, my, my wife and I drove out there and, um, so she went off to like a little coffee shop, you know, waiting for me. And, um, so we're down in Hollywood, wherever. And it's just kind of like you see in the different, um, like in movies or TV, when somebody goes to like an audition or a casting call where you know, like you're in the waiting area and there are people coming in and it's like, okay, this person's obviously a tattoo artist. And, you know, here's somebody that's like, some guy was full on carrying like a, like a gas tank from a, a motorcycle. And cause they'd asked me to bring in a guitar and some tools. And I'm sure that they asked the other craftspeople the same mm -hmm. thing. There were like leather workers and, you know, all these people. And I was like, dang, this is really interesting. And there were a couple of the guitar makers there. One that I recognized that I don't really know if I should say who, but it was like, dude, if this guy's in this commercial, that's going to be a rad commercial. And since he's here and he's more well known than I am, then there's no way I'm getting this gig, but I'm here. I'm going to have fun with it. So whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, so they're bringing people in one by one and they're not telling us a whole lot. They're just saying, all right, when you get in there, they're going to ask you, there's going to be a, a like a, a video camera there. They're just going to want you right off to look in the camera and say your name just so they have a reference of who you are. So I walk in this room, there's the camera there, there are people, there are a handful of people, there's a little table over to the side. I'm carrying like one of those double gig bags. I have um, that red guitar that you were holding. Um, and then a, uh, like, you know, actually it's it's the one that I'm working on for, um, it was either the one for Paul Pennington or the one for Cole Duke, but I had another Rayburn that was kind of in the works. 
and a bunch of my tools. And so I'm you know, slugging this. It was all heavy because of all the guitars and tools. And and so I'm a bit nervous and you just kind of, you know, this like whirlwind. So they're like, go ahead, set your stuff down here. We need you to look in the camera. We need you to say your name. And I'm like, in my head, don't screw up, do this and this. So a guy walks up to me and he's got glasses and, and a beard and he goes, hi, I'm Ewan. And I said, oh, okay, hi, Ewan. And I shake his hand. And in my head, I'm like, Ewan, like Ewan McGregor. And I look up and it's Ewan oh. McGregor. <laughs> As in... Obi-Wan Kenobi, right. you know, because <laughs> he's a he's a motorcycle enthusiast and and he did um, this uh, like these documentaries that I'd watched a long time ago and just really enjoyed where um, he rides all the way around basically the earth on a motorcycle. And the other one, he goes like from north to south. And and I'm like, oh, my gosh, be cool. Don't be an idiot. And um, so they have me um, take out the guitars and, and really just kind of go through kind of the motions that I was doing in my little demo video where I was just kind of shaping a neck. And so I was explaining my process and, and here's, <laughs> you know, here's you and McGregor crouching down, holding up his hands like a, like a frame. And, and he's, you know, okay, yeah. So we could come in this way and this way. And, and I'm just like freaking out because, um, uh, you know, to be fair, he's like the nicest guy in the world. He didn't introduce himself as like, hey, I'm Ewan McGregor. And by the way, I was Obi-Wan <laughs> right. you know, he, he was just Ewan, you know, just the, just so gracious and so nice. I, I can't say enough of, uh, good stuff about him. So anyway, you know, they, they, they have me kind of go through the thing, uh, ask me some questions. We're chatting a little bit. Um, he shakes my hand. Thank you so much for bringing us down for coming in. And I walk out the door and I was like, what the heck just happened? Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> just totally reeling. So I tell my wife, she's like, no way. So we drive home and in my head, I'm thinking, wow, that was it. That was the experience. And I'm, I'm done. Uh, you know, there's no way I got the gig anyway, but Hey, I got to meet, uh, you know, you and I got to do like an audition, like actors do and all this stuff. Um, so I think, Later, I think it might have been later that day or the next day or something like that. Um, I get a phone call. They're like, "Hey, you got the part. Um, you got to come in for wardrobe on this day, um, and we're going to be shooting this other day on this weekend." And it was like boom, 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 boom. So yeah, had to go back all the way back there, um, you know, for wardrobe. Got to see, you know, got to talk to you and again, and um, and then we filmed in this awesome warehouse. You can kind of tell from the footage that. You know, we're in this amazing warehouse and the um, the art director that was doing the set design had contacted me kind of in that whole in between period and said, well, we want to make this as authentic as possible. So, you know, can you send us some pictures of some of the tools and, and some of your workspace so that we can, you know, work off of. So I sent her pictures and she's like, this is great. Could we borrow some of this stuff? Um, do you have any finished guitars that you want to have in there? And it's like, are you kidding me? Of course I do. So, um so the guitars in the background, it's it's a very quick clip, but the guitars in the background, that's like the red Rayburn that you were holding. There's my black Ashford. There's also the, the um, Shoreline Gold Fuzz Rayburn. It's a little hard to see that one. Um, and they had like my drill press. What's really cool is my uncle Frank, who he's a big inspiration to me. And unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago, but um, he was a woodworker and just an amazing craftsman. And uh, he taught me a lot and I got to inherit one of his toolboxes, but he also was a motorcycle guy and he had an Indian motorcycle. Oh, wow. So, That's awesome. Um, so I told them that and they loved, you know, even my new buddy, Ewan, he loved the idea. He's like, okay, well, let's make sure that's in the shot. So they were very cool about stuff like that. So if you pause it, you'll see a brown toolbox behind me. That was my Uncle Frank's. Um, 
and so yeah they um they set up this shop which was like in this this awesome abandoned warehouse but it was it was super cool and the, the scenes in the commercial there's a tattoo parlor there's a, a saddle maker those were all like like almost next door to each other just in this warehouse oh, okay. like it was all i mean at least a lot of the stuff that i was a part of was all done at the same time and place um and then yeah like i said it was just a whirlwind from there um they just it was cool because they just wanted me to be me they didn't make me dress up like anything else they gave me that shirt that i was wearing to wear but um otherwise like they didn't make me put on glasses or an apron or you know do anything that wasn't like me um and they had me just do that carving like you see in the commercial they just had me do that over and over and they did a few different shots um Ewan, of course, was very, very gracious, you know, making sure that I, I was comfortable, that I, you know, felt like I was doing it right. And he gave me a compliment on my work and um, shook my hand enthusiastically. And then they were off to shoot the next thing. And then it was over. And I was like standing in this like amazing. And there's so much more to that little shop that's not in the commercial, but it was really, really beautiful and just charming in its own way. And someday I'm going to recreate that. And that will be my actual workshop. <laughs> nice. That was it. And, um, so yeah, it, it finally was, you know, it was, I just found it, you know, they, they, they let me know that I'd made the, the final cut and that the final one was going to be available pretty soon. Um, but this morning I, I just checked on YouTube and it was there. So I was like, what? So of course I had to like share the living crap out of it. And everybody, by the time this podcast airs, they're probably going to be so sick of seeing it. And, um, you know, Hey, whatever. I had to share it too. Uh, I was, that, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah, you did. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That's, I was cool. like, Oh, this is, this is so um, cool. I mean, I, I like, but, I have always wanted a motorcycle like that. So I probably won't ever get one. Oh, but. they are the coolest motorcycles. Yeah. Well, and the, the whole you and McGregor thing was like, I wasn't saying anything about that because they didn't say that in the audition, you know, like leading up to the audition until you're actually there. Um, and I'm sure there was like some confidentiality and stuff, but the only reason I'm saying it is because I saw like um, the the production company that made it. They had been tweeting that oh, you and McGregor's directorial, you know, commercial thing here, and they posted the director's cut of the commercial. And then Indian Motorcycles retweeted that tweet. I'm like, okay, this is public. It's all been tweeted. You know, right. so here I go. I'm just going to start shouting it from the the rafters. That. So yeah, a TV commercial about motorcycles with Obi-Wan Kenobi and I got to be a guitar maker. Like it's just it's still ridiculous to even Kevin say. Equitz plays Kevin Equitz. It's one of them scenes. That that's yeah. so cool. How weird it's is so that? cool. That's amazing. That is awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that story a little more in depth. I was I was really curious how that all came about cuz that almost seems like I mean, because it happened so fast, like if if that happened to me, and it didn't happen that fast. I'm like, guys, guess what happened today? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like before the commercial came out, I'm just surprised that they were able to turn and burn on it that fast. That's actually really impressive. Um, yeah, it was hard not to talk about that's it. That's amazing. But being like secretive and all that, it, it's, it's tough for me. You know, like there are a lot of different builders and, you know, everybody's got like some secret project they're working on and the next big thing. And it's, it's hard to... Um, it's hard to keep that a secret. So sitting on this was difficult and it's like now that it's out there, I can finally talk about it. Oh, dude, story of my life. <laughs> I'm <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you've always got something in the fire, don't you? So it's, yeah, that's well, cool. There's just so many things. It's, it's amazing. I'm not complaining. 
but I'm like you. I like want to tell people like this is a rad thing that's happening. Um, but there's so much that I get uh, sort of I. I've been told by a couple different builders that that I'm like the I don't like the pedal therapist or something. Like <laughs> some people mm. some people like to call up and just talk about prob talk through problems sometimes, which is totally fine. You know, <laughs> like I I not technical ones, more just like, "Oh, I'm having this problem and I don't know who else to talk to about it." You know, I'm like, well, "That's fine. I that's what I do is talk. So let's talk." And uh, so I, I, through that, I get a lot of kind of, oh, yeah, don't say anything. That's not ready. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. I got to keep quiet now. <laughs> but um, Well, yeah, you you know like so many of these people too. You're like so well connected. That's got to be the toughest thing because, you know, people want to get your input and your feedback and that's important. But then it's it's hard to not want to share that afterwards. It, it is. I've gotten a lot better at it and and – sometimes I feel like a jerk when I'm like, I know what that is, but I can't tell you. <laughs> and I do it anyway because I'm not that nice. Um, but it's it's actually totally due to this podcast because like through doing this as you know, like we have to talk a little bit, you know, at least beforehand. And yeah. so it's like we have to have some sort of open line of communication. So with all the guests that, you know, have came on, obviously that's just a natural kind of byproduct. And, you know, you sit and talk to somebody right. for an hour or so, you, cu- you get a pretty good feel if you want to talk to them again or not and wh- whether you like talking to them or not. And it just becomes kind of it's, – it's totally a natural byproduct of, of doing the show, which I'm very happy about. It's just uh, an interesting position to be in. Well, what's great about your show too is that you've got that insider angle, but you, you don't like manufacture hype. You know, you don't – it's not – cheesy or, or artificial you know it's like if you're excited about something if you blake wyland are excited about something it's it's legitimately exciting and 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 that's that's what makes it fun for me to watch um and it's tough because well like in my case like my marketing budget is zero essentially and um but like you're able to do a lot of marketing just kind of through you know all your your networking your conversations and, and kind of teasing stuff out and then when you get to announce something, you know, it's it's fun to watch. Like it's it's really cool to see the excitement and you know, like I said, the the fuzz pedal I got. Like if I could buy every pedal that you've collaborated on, <laughs> I would. Because <laughs> well, I want to. Because it's 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 about the collaboration as well. You know, like you've worked with some pretty amazing people, and and um, and it's it's so cool to to be a part of that, even if it's just a matter of buying a pedal, you still feel like you're buying into the brand and buying into the community and, and like you're part of the partnership. Yeah. And I mean, I'm super thankful for everyone that's, that's, you know, taken a chance and, and, you know, gotten involved with doing these projects with me. Cause it is, you know, it's a risk. It's not, like we, you know, they've all went really well so mm-hmm. far, but nothing lasts forever. You know, like I, I'm still like, just like you think that you'd think that somebody like, um, I don't know. You'd think like, like somebody like Brian Wampler, like you'd think he'd just be like, not worried about a product launch. Right. At this point, but that's not the case. Everyone's waiting for the flop, you know, like those things do happen Mm. eventually. Um, and not that I think Brian's going to experience that at all, but like, there's a reason why on launch day he's, he's nervous just like anybody 
who goes through a lot of effort to you know put something out there it's nerve-wracking if nobody likes it and sometimes nobody likes it that's just is what it is and not really anything you can do about it except throw it at the wall and see what sticks Right. And that's got to be a lot of pressure because, you know, in, in that case, you're, you're actually launching something. You've already done all your R&D and all that. And, and you put so much work into it before anyone else knows about it. That makes a lot of sense. Like it's it's something that um, for somebody like me, it's I don't know, it's it's not um, it's not really something I have to worry about so much. Like there's there's a new design I have in the works, but um we can talk about it if you want, but like, go for it. When it comes out, like it's, there's not going to be like some big launch, like okay, nobody knew about this, and then here it is, you know, because my like social media feed and you know conversations in the groups, like that is my marketing because all I have to market is just myself and my guitars, you know. Um, it's not like I can really, nor do I want to, like generate any hype, like you know. And and it's cool for the people who can do that. I really admire that. But like in my case, I really want to bring people in early on so that they can kind of be a part of the the development as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like for example, what I'm talking about is um, a collaboration with um, you know Emily Harris. <laughs> I, we we've all seen her in, in in the group. She's she's been really really cool to talk to and and very much outspoken um, in terms of being a woman that plays guitar. Mm-hmm. And so there were a few threads going on, um, different conversations about you know guitars. Like somebody was was looking for a guitar um, for their girlfriend, and there was another conversation about like guitar shapes that were not so flattering for women or comfortable. But she, what I saw was, you know, a lot of her responses were very well informed, very passionate. And again, coming from that design background, this is also a lesson that we've been working on with um, my daughter as well is because she's very creative and um, she likes to draw and write. And, you know, that's kind of her outlet. It's like, when you see something that is a problem or something that's wrong or frustrating, rather than, you know, giving into that urge to tear something up or destroy or argue or whatever, like, funnel that into creating like create a better option then if you see something wrong then you know use your your talent your energy to fix it so um there were a lot of good points made about some of the challenges for um women to find comfortable guitars or or ones that were really like uh reflective of the style that they wanted to to be or play and so in my mind i saw this as like a challenge like a design challenge um you know taking inspiration from like the Annie Clark, St. Vincent, Ernie Ball, you know, model, which is, you know, very clearly something that, that both men and women think, wow, this is a really cool design, but it's, it's more, you know, suited as far as like the size and the weight and the balance and all that to be comfortable for women to play. So the, the challenge in my mind was like, is it possible to design something that could be more accommodating universally, seeing that there's a rise in these really talented um, women that, that, um, are looking for guitars that, that maybe are not as comfortable or, you know, it's not a matter of like, you see some of the other ones where it's just smaller and it's pink sparkle. And it's like, here you go, sweetheart. Here's a, <laughs> right. Here's something for you. Uh, there are a lot of guys I know that would rather play a pink sparkle guitar. Like my daughter, for example, she doesn't like to wear, you know, shirts that say like diva or princess. Cause you know, she says, that's not what I am. Like she, Unfortunately, she has to get like she had to get a jacket from the boys section because she didn't want something that was bright pink. She wanted a yellow jacket. So she had to shop out of the boys section. So there's a lot of weirdness going on. And and em, anyway, Emily and I talked a lot at, at length about this kind of stuff. And I'll let her kind of speak to the um, 
I guess the social dynamics, but in my mind, it was a design exercise and mm-hmm. it was like, what would be a comfortable shape and a format, something that would really appeal to everybody, something that guys would be confident rocking and, and something that ladies can pick up and feel just as comfortable and confident to play. So we kicked on some ideas and, and you had actually seen some of these too, from some of our earlier conversations, like a single cut. Oh and yeah. An offset. Yeah. 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 And so it kind of became a hybrid of those two actually, where it's like an offset single cut and um, the the upper horn is, is kind of set and shaped and, and carved on the back in a way to try to be more comfortable. And so that means that the, you know, the waist is offset and then the lower bout kind of takes on a different shape to balance that out. Um, trying to work on making it lightweight, comfortable. Um, it's not smaller per se, because, you know, like Emily was saying, the guitar doesn't need to be smaller, like a, a, a comfortable, like on the more narrow side as a nut width would be good, but the scale length doesn't need to be any shorter. Um, yeah, I wouldn't so say that, anyway, that, that like, I mean, this isn't true across the board. Of course, there's extremes on both ends, but as a general whole, it's not like women, most women's, most women probably have longer arms than I do. I mean, I'm a short dude. Right. Like, like that, that doesn't, that's not right. really a problem. <laughs> like I don't, exactly. I don't think. Well, and it's, the, again, the the idea was not to build a women's guitar. It's not like, sorry, boys, this one's for the ladies. You know, it's it's really just something that is, um, like you know, design should really about should really be about solving a problem. And it was like, well, here's here's a new problem. Is there there are a lot more um, people in this this guitar playing realm that kind of have some different you know needs per se. So um, in the end, what we came up with together is a single cut offset lightweight shape mm-hmm. and um we're both very excited about it i've already started kind of prototyping it um and so when it's a little bit further along i'll start posting pictures of it um uh, because you know i want everybody's buy-in i want people to be kind of a part of the process and really to see how it was made and how it was developed rather than like introduce it when it's already said and done and and deal with like you know all the backlash of opinion at that point but um Anyway, it's it's really been fantastic working with Emily and and kind of going back and forth and and um, getting her perspective um, and trying to respond like from you know what I'm doing and uh, the the day I get to send it up to her I, I'm really looking forward to it because um, she's as soon as I'm done with it actually before I'm done with it when it's playable when I can just assemble it put strings on it I'm gonna send it up to her to try it out mm-hmm. and give me some feedback so that I can still carve on it if, if I need to take more wood away or whatever. Um, but if it ends up just being this one guitar or if it ends up, you know, being another option for ladies to play, if they want the small pink sparkle guitar, they can do that. If they want something that's um, the St. Vincent, they can do that. But if they want something that's in between, that's not as modern looking as the St. Vincent, um, you know, that's what I want to do. Um, you know, they can play any guitar they want. Um, just as well as anybody can, but it's more a matter of just taking, taking into consideration at the design process, like a wider audience and, and really making some specific design decisions. Got it. Well, that's really cool. I, uh, so yeah, that'll be coming up. I like that. That's awesome. I think that, um, I, I, I've talked about it in a few different episodes here and there, but I think that this whole, um, there's always been female guitar players, right? But it's, it's nice that, right. You know, Things are being viewed differently now. Uh, they, yeah. they, they did. How do I say this without sounding stupid? Like they are under, they're uh, long overdue. 
should I say, to get, you know, yeah. kind of served in the marketplace. It's been a, a dude's game for so long, right. and that's fine. I like that I'm I'm a dude. I like that my, my needs have been met, but there's a 50% of the market that's not been served as well as they could have been. So I kind of like seeing companies paying attention to that. I really like that. Right. And the attempt is not to alienate anyone in the process. It's not like trying to, to serve that other percentage, then, you know, you, you leave out the ones behind, you know, like the goal here is, is really to make something that's just universally comfortable mm-hmm. um, and, and coming at it with a, with a more informed approach. I like that. That is very, very cool. Well, I'm glad to hear that, Mr. Equits. Um, I just realized that what time it was, and we still haven't got into the most important question of all. Oh, man. I know. Drum roll. Yeah. Kevin, what is your favorite kind of pizza? Ooh, yeah. This is a question I've asked myself listening to your show for a couple years now. Like, what would I say to this? And it's tough because it kind of goes into two categories. Um, so if, if I'm allowed to to say two. I mean, you're allowed to answer the question whichever way fits your needs. If that's the case, and here's what I would say. There's a place called Tony's Little Italy near me, and the pizza is wonderful. It's super deep dish. If it's authentic or not, I don't care. But it's like so deep that there's this moment where the cheese and the bread kind of like meet in the middle where you don't know what's what. And, (laughs) And it's like Eating it, you just you feel like that machine in the Princess Bride that like takes years off of your life. Right. Where it's <laughs> right. like, oh man, this is this is probably gonna take this is probably gonna kill me slightly. Um, but it is so good and it, it is so wonderful and it's simple. It's not like it's got all these fancy ingredients, you know, but um but there's something just so like gratuitous about the, the cheese and the bread and it's just wonderful. But on the other hand, and again this may upset the other side, is um, we have a local place called the Pizza Press mm-hmm. by us. I don't know um, how widespread that chain is, but you can kind of custom order your pizzas. But they've got one that's like thin crust, and instead of the red sauce, it's like olive oil, and you get like smoked mozzarella Ooh. and like roasted garlic and artichoke hearts, and you can even get like um, um, you know like balsamic glaze, and um, they'll even put like arugula. Dare I say arugula on top of it? I'm, um, I'm okay. I'm down with that, arugula. Oh man, it's like a totally, it's not like your conventional, traditional pizza. It's probably some, you know, something that people would call like uppity or hipster or whatever, but I don't care. It's, it is awesome. And, and you can eat a whole pizza and it's great. So anyway, those two are really where I'm at. But, you know, I guess what's really at at stake here is pineapple or not. And to that, I say pineapple is a crime. Thank you, sir. Um, Especially especially on pizza. It has no business being on pizza. Please stop putting fruit on pizza. Um, I technically tomatoes are fruit, but, but it's not just it's, ignore that. Yeah. Ignore that. Pineapple <laughs> does not belong on pizza. That's really what everybody cares about in the end, isn't it? It, it is. It is. And I, I, uh, I've known that it was a divisive issue for a long time. I feel like I was leading the, uh, <laughs> leading the anti-pineapple charge before it was cool, which is rather hipster, hipster Portland of me. But hey, uh, no, I, I do think some, I do think a weird thing. Well, not to go too deep into this, but we, mm-hmm. I, I've come to like a lot of things that I didn't used to like. Um, 
Right. Like as a kid. That's cool. I, there's lots of things I didn't like, and I, I, I've now grown to love some of these things, like guacamole and onions. I used to not like onions at all, and now, right. and now I like them basically any way I can get them. Um, there's just a handful of, of foods that fit that description where I did sauerkraut. used to hate it. Now I'm down. Uh, <laughs> like down with the crowd. Yeah, exactly. And that's a recent one. That's just like last year. I'm like, well, I haven't tried this in about three years. Let me try the sauerkraut again. Hey, actually, I could do this. If you find a good one, that's like your gateway into it. Yeah, exactly. So, I well, all that to say is, I still stand with the anti pineapple crowd. I'm not going to rule it out forever because there's lots of things that I thought I would never ever like, and uh, turns out that I like them now. And I would always rather like something than no, but it is wrong. still it's wrong. Bad. It's not a good thing to do. <laughs> this is wrong. But, well, you and you and Andy were killing me on the last. Um, I know by this point it's probably old news by the time this thing airs. But you know, like when you guys were talking about all the different smoke brisket <laughs> and uh, you know getting the charred this and that, like you went on and on about injecting it with beer, and then you started talking about smoked fish, and I was like. Oh my goodness, just kill me. It was so stinking good. Like, you know, you were talking about like your mouth was watering. It was like, I felt full after that uh, conversation. It was like, (laughs) yeah. In my head, I'd already eaten all that food and had like the meat sweats afterwards and everything. Well, I'm glad we were able to provide you with an, uh, an auditory meal. I'm not sure what that would be. Yeah, uh, it was just beautiful. I, I do love. I'm no, I'm no pit master by any stretch of the imagination, but I do know my way around the Traeger. That's one thing I feel confident in. Dude, your your brisket, your brisket approach. I mean, that was like, that was like, that was like um, Breaking Bad level like meth recipe stuff. You know, like all these different steps and temperatures and you know process. It's like on the smoker, in the oven, in the cooler, mm. back in the smoker. It was like, dang, that's a, that's a lot of work, man. It's it's a it's a crafted fine culinary you know it's meal uh, right there. it's a, it's it's really fun i don't think it would be very fun on a big scale like to do you know like for a restaurant to do the brisket like i don't think that would be very fun um that would just be a crazy amount of work but on like a yeah you'd have to start it the day before i mean i think a lot of them do i think a lot of them are like oh gotta get up at two in the morning and to be fair doing what i do depending on the size of the brisket you do have to do it that way. You have to get up really early. You just have to know when you want to eat and just kind of go, okay, well, this is how we need to do it. And it can be 12, 16 hours. You know, you never know with some of these things. Just a, it's a, it's well, a process, but. Incidentally, see how long is the drive from Southern California? Oh. <laughs> to <laughs> if you give me like a couple hours head start and then you throw a brisket on, I think maybe I could I could get there it, by. It could time. be doable. Could you know? It's it's just <laughs> I would love to I would love to do a cooked brisket for somebody one of these days. I keep threatening to do it for for Mister oh, Keeley because he's a master chef. But um, anyway, that's a story for another day. There's so many people up there. I need to. I need to meet. I need to get my way up to the uh, Pacific Northwest. We were chatting about that earlier, but yeah, I'm like um, Seattle mm-hmm. as well. I know it's like another what three hours. Seattle, there, yeah, it's but, a little further than that, but um, whatever. Yeah. Okay, four hours, whatever. Like, I just need to get up there. But there's a lot of other places I need to go. Like, um, we were talking about Summer Nam. Like, this is the first year I'm going to be at Summer Nam. 
Um, so that's that's the extent of my um, <laughs> my summer travels. I think we're going to do a couple small trips with my family, but that's all I got is uh, Nashville and back. But someday, someday we'll make it up to the uh, the great Pacific. We'd North love to West. have you up here. It would be a wonderful time. I can tell you where to eat. Got to hang with Leon and Justin. Um, I mean, got to hang out with with you and Jess at, at Nam this year, but. Like, it'd be great to hang out on your turf, you know, have you guys show me around town where the cool spots are. We got a lot of them. Let me, let me know. Yeah. Well, let's wrap this thing up. What do you say? All right. Right on. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks to Kevin for coming on. And for Kevin, this is Blake. Good luck and good tones. I tell you, that Kevin Equitz is a real treat of a character. Uh, I really like him a lot. We had good conversations and good times, and he makes fantastic guitars. So if you get a chance, slide over and check out his work, because it's beautiful, and I can't say enough how awesome he is and how awesome his guitars are. So do check him out. Um, yeah, Kevin's a, Kevin's a, a treasure in the Tone Mob and guitar podcast community. So if you don't know him, get to know him. I highly recommend it. And other than that, let's see, what else do we got? Oh, yes, we got a new giveaway that's going to be happening here relatively shortly. I'll keep you guys posted on all that. Check the socials, check the emails, check all that good stuff. We'll be announcing it very soon with a guy that's actually been around the industry for quite some time and has stepped away from it for it. Blah, blah, blah. Stepped away from it for a little bit and is now coming back. So it'll be cool to see what ends up happening, and I'll give you more information as I am able to. So, as always, folks, thanks for tuning in. I'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, And I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com slash StringJoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things. And by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style. Again, the link for that is tonemob.com slash stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got... Three different guitars that now have Gun Street harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check them out.